0: call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today.
1: This is Kevin Brooker, and we are cruising through retirement. You know, most people agree that a plan for retirement is an absolute necessity. On today's show, we're going to tackle your retirement readiness by making sure you can answer three very important questions.
0: Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is uh, Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Kevin is a fiduciary, an independent investment advisor. He's got over 30 years in the business. He's a fiduciary. Silverleaf Financial is where you'll find him. You can find his website, silverleaffinancial.com. Hey, Kevin, what's going on? Hey, we are living a roller coaster ride right now on the stock market. Oh my See, so. gosh, and those going over those hills <laughs> this week has been a little, you know, my leaves yeah. my stomach in my head.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're hitting those big drops and the big climbs is what we're doing right now. Yeah, and, no uh, good. You, you know, it's crazy. I think Nasdaq traded to you know, within a range of it was like three and a half to three and a half percent down and three and a half percent up. Um, you wow. know, so we started the, we started the first couple hours going down getting hit hard. It was, you know, the Dow was down about 700 points. Everything was really, almost everything I should say was down. And, you know, of course, with the news of what's happening in you know, with Russia invading Ukraine. Yes. That seems to be driving, you know, driving. That's the day-to-day news, the headline risk that we're seeing right now that's moving the market. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, by the way, folks, Russia is number 11 in terms of GDP. So they're the 11th largest, you know, not even, they're not quite yet in the top 10. Uh, and as far as direct business relationships in the US, it's it's uh, there are some estimates that came out that shows it's like something like 0.01 effect on our GDP. So it is really a neg in terms of an ne- economic impact for on the United States, it's really negligible. Um in fact, what I've been seeing is and, and hearing is going back to when Russia annexed you know Crimea or Crimea, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> it's like tomato tomato. Um Nonetheless, when, when that happened several years ago, I believe it was 2014, at that point, a lot of our biggest banks and financial institutions started to, you know, divest themselves of any any Russian, you know, assets or things like that or connections. And so they're really pretty disentangled, if you will, from the U.S. from an economic standpoint. I really think a lot of it has to do with where, where you know, the repercussions on the energy market for Western Europe who relies on natural gas that they get from Russia. So uh, Europe, Western Europe is a lot more dependent, you know, on the, on uh the energy supply from Russia, then of course the U S which is not at all dependent on it.
0: Right. So, I mean, yeah, the, uh, that's, people are concerned about a lot of things right now. And then you throw the, uh, the whole, um, you know, Ukraine thing in there and you got, you got, yes, you got stuff going on. <laughs> you
1: got stuff going on and, and you got the recipe for a market that's going to correct and going to go down because, you know, the market does not like uncertainty. We've, we've talked about it before. Uh, it doesn't like the unknowns, yeah, and, and right now it feels like there are a lot of unknowns, and and obviously the uh, you know the Russian Ukraine is just is just one headline or one issue, if you will, um, and and, it, and we're here to talk about investing in the stock market. I'm, yeah. I'm of course not referring to the you know to the human toll, um, right? But but what, what we're looking at also though is of course the easy monetary policy that we've had. You know that the you know the theory has been that the Fed has got your back, so to speak, for the last several years by being so easy with with money, in other words, having extremely low interest rates um, and really easy money uh, in terms of all the different programs, you know, they're printing money on the one hand, they're buying their own bonds with the other hand, and they've been artificially stimulating and supporting the economy for the last several years, like a lot of governments around the world, okay, but they're pulling away that punch bowl, they're getting ready to raise interest rates, they're going to start dealing, you know, selling and reducing their balance sheet, in other words, selling the bonds and the other things that they bought over the years. So all of those things are unknown. We have not gone through those before. And so it's all of these different things coming together that's causing the market to get nervous. And, and to get into what they call, uh, we call that a risk off, you know, appetite or risk off sentiment. And that basically means, you know, people don't want to take a chance. They'd rather, you know, sell um, or, or move to bonds or something like that than, sure. than take the risk. So it's not a time to be in stocks like Peloton. At, or, or companies that don't have any earnings that are trading at 20, 30, 40 times sales. Um, those are not the companies that you want to be in right now. and hopefully you're not. If you haven't, you want to take a hard look as whether you should hold on to them.
0: So let me ask you this, in light of uh, you know the, the upheaval overseas, um, do you think the Fed will, will still raise interest rates? Is that, could one, could that deter them for, for whatever reason? Now, you know, that's a good question.
1: And, and, and it's not just what's happening overseas, but also the bond market has kind of done some of the work for the Fed. In other words, interest rates on short term, like the two-year Treasury, uh, the interest rate has been going up. It's gone up pretty substantially, actually, uh, in the last few months in anticipation of the government, of the Fed raising rates. So the consensus right now um, is 100, like there was, I saw uh, a report today that was a survey of economists uh, on CNBC and they put out the results today, saying that, uh, and this is I want to say maybe twenty to twenty five economists are surveyed, uh, and they gave a hundred percent probability to the rate hike in March.
0: Okay, as, well that's as, that's pretty much seals it, <laughs>
1: as well as May and ninety five percent probability for I believe the one after that is I think it's July. So wow. in other words, that so the first three hikes are baked in from a very 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 high probability standpoint, uh, and those are considered to be a quarter point apiece. So I think the half point hike because of what's going on uh, with Russia and Ukraine, as well as what's happening, you know, bond market already, you know, two-year treasurer, as I mentioned, going higher. So I think that I was I was personally leaning towards the Fed, and I was convinced the Fed was going to do a half point on the first move. But I think with, the, with these other issues that have come to light, uh, I believe the probability now is more for a quarter point. But the economists that have been surveyed, they have no doubt at all, they're definitely going to raise rates. And, and so the first three are baked in almost with certainty. But then there's three more, guys, three more. Uh, for a total of six hikes going through December of this year, uh, that the market all has as a majority waiting. In other words, the one in December is like a fifty-five or sixty percent probability. Uh, but these are all majority majority of the uh, economists surveyed believe those hikes will take place.
0: So, what does what does raising interest rates do to inflation?
1: Uh, well, it should slow it should. Well, the idea behind it is that it should slow it down because as money gets harder to borrow and and it becomes more expensive. Um, then, you know, they that that will serve as a catalyst or a governor, I should say, to kind of restrain it um, and and slow down the spending. And so the idea is to raise the rates. I mean, and we're raising rates back to normal ranges. OK, just to put it in perspective, these are actually the economy being strong and the Fed raising rates is actually a good thing. All right. It's actually a good thing because we're at an abnormally low rates. We've been for a long time. Rates should should in a, in a normal economy, the rates would not be at zero, you know, they might be at three to 4% or something. Um, but they wouldn't be at zero. No. And, and, and so we're, we are an extraordinary low interest rate period. And so really what they're doing is normalizing rates by raising, you know, these six times it's a quarter point apiece. So it's a total of a point and a half. We're not talking, you know, you know, like 5% or something. We're talking about a one and a half percent total increase over the course of the year which is going to happen largely on the short end of the curve, you know, the overnight rate, which is why it's a lot of it's reflected in the two-year treasury. Uh, you know, and so the 10-year, the 10-year treasury is still barely, it's right now just cracking 2%. So that is, that is a very, very low rate. If, if you look at it over the last, let's say 40 or 50 years, uh, rates are very low. So the economy is really actually doing well. And because of that, it puts the Fed in a position that they can, they have the flexibility that they can raise rates because we all want them to. We've been most people on this on Wall Street have been wanting the Fed to raise rates for several months now, and it felt they're kind of behind uh, behind the curve. So I think it's a good thing that they're doing it, and I would like to see rates get back to normal so that people that are saving can actually earn a little bit of interest on on
0: their money too. Well, that would be that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> right? And, yeah. Instead of like this 0.001
1: or something, whatever yeah. it is from your. So do you think? I
0: mean, does that does that begin to affect um, interest rates on mortgages? That kind of thing.
1: I, well I think it already has a little bit okay you know, the, the the mortgages are really um I, I believe in my in my experience mortgages are really pegged more towards the 10-year treasury uh which right now is right about two percent so and then you've got a margin over that let's say you know let's say two percent over the 10-year treasury is a, is a big you know rule of thumb by no means exact but it's an approximate measure of where mortgage rates are so I think if we see if we see the 10-year treasury continue to go up I would expect mortgage rates to to go up in lockstep, um, but not necessarily with the shorter term, you know, like the two year rate.
0: So, talking about the market on Thursday, where it was, like you said, there was some huge downs. The the you know as much as what seven hundred points the Dow at one point. So yes, Does that yes. does that mean that there are good deals out there for folks? You know what
1: I think it does. I think it does mean good deals. But I think, but just like we talked about with all the uh, all of the uncertainty. I am certainly not going to say this is the bottom and that we've seen the worst because it, deep, it, there's too much too much uncertainty right now to know. And so, but I do think there's some good buys, Like for instance, home builders. Some of the home builders, like Toll Brothers, is barely sitting above its 52-week low, um, trading at something like four to five times earnings. Uh, I mean, it is it is with you know it is a, a, I believe a very solid company. I think that's something that looks like a really you know it looks very interesting down here. Uh, and so, what I'm looking at doing is, when I when I do go in to buy something, I like to stage into it. In other words, I don't like to uh, I don't like to buy my entire position all at once. I actually think that's it. To me, it almost seems a little bit arrogant that that it, that it, somebody thinks that they can actually figure out the market, and you know, this is the best price you're going to be able to get. Versus maybe it'll be better next week or two weeks or a month from now. And so, what I and the fact is, none of us know. There are too many too many opposing factors at work. To, for anybody to know where the bottom or the top is in the market. And that's why so many people say, don't try to time it. Just do your, when, when you find a company that you want to accumulate, you want to have the position in, you know, then then set some numbers or maybe put in limit orders. You know, you could do that as well. Today, for instance, if a person had limit orders put in, like I mentioned, Stephen, you know, we were talking before the show. Right. And I was, I was saying how, you know, NASDAQ in the morning, um, it just looked to me like it was oversold. And the technical indicators are pointing to oversold. And, and that just means that it's it's kind of you know shifted too much too hard to one side of the boat so to speak, and so I was looking at Google uh, at twenty five hundred dollars, and if I'd have had a limit order put in, I could have bought it at twenty five hundred. I think it closed at like twenty six forty or twenty six fifty something like that. Uh, so a limit order would have gotten that filled, but I didn't do that. All right, and I, I had other things going on. I didn't do it, and I missed it. So it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I miss it entirely. So, you know, there's, so I think what I'm going to be doing actually is putting that limit order and you can put them in good till cancel. So it could stay in there for six months if you want it to. Um, but just remember that those will execute unless you change them. Um, and, and so my point being though, is that, that to stage into in other words, maybe buy a third of your position here and then give it a week or a couple of weeks or maybe a month and put in another third and then a little bit longer and maybe put in another third. And, and the reason I say that is cause I think there's a good chance that over the next four or five months. I think we can be seeing this whipsaw type of action uh, for a little, for like the first half of the year, maybe a little longer.
0: Okay. Well, I like that. I mean, I like your optimism as I always do. And I think that that's a great way to look at things. Um, you know, I mean, there's no absolutes. We so certainly know that, but, no, it's, but no. it's good to just keep track of things. And that's where, that's where you come in, Kevin. Cause that, you know, you, your passion for this business in, in over 30 years has never wavered. I mean, you know, we've been working together what four years or something like that, it's, three it, years.
1: It, it's been a while. It's and,
0: been and so, but you sometimes it seems longer than <laughs> I'm sure. But, but it's but it, you know, but again, you're you are certainly a great, a you know, a driving force here in terms of being optimistic, in terms of being realistic, honest with investments. I mean, these are things that that we want in an advisor. Oh,
1: and and I really appreciate that, Steve. And and you know what? Uh, and it's not just Steve. I'd like to. Uh, to mention everybody that uh, we do have the ability now, you know, regulators have cleared the way for advisors such as myself to get testimonials. So you can get you should ask your advisor for the testimonials for feedback, Google reviews. Um, you know, because I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, I've got some great clients, many of them have been with me for years and years and years. And they've given they've they've uh, made very, very you know, nice comments. Uh, I've had, that I've asked them their permission, of course, to share this. And, uh, and some of them have even offered to have private phone calls with somebody that they're, they're, interested. You're trying to find somebody you can trust that you can feel good about that. You don't have to worry about, you know, where their interests lie. You know what, ask them if they've got any clients that you can have a conversation with one-on-one privately. And I think that's a really good way to get a feel for what type of advisor that person is, sure. whether they have, you know, be, do they have clients that are willing to share that feedback? Um, and yes, I do. And so if anybody's interested, just give me a call. I can set it up. I just set up an appointment with my client and uh, he will have a one-on-one conversation with you
0: and answer any questions you'd like to, you'd like to pose. 800-975-6717. That's the number that you can reach Kevin. Uh, Also the website, you can connect with Kevin there too. That's silverleaffinancial.com, silverleaffinancial.com. And again, it's a, it's a great website in terms of just being a, I don't know, a repository of good information.
1: Oh, that, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate that, Steve. You know, and you know, we're always we're, every week we're we're working to put new information, new content um, on the website. A lot of resources so that you you hopefully find it a resource you can come back to and use when you have a question about something. So we have we have blogs, you know, for instance, on retirement questions, IRAs, tons and tons of information. We've got videos, of course, we've got uh, our shows. All of our podcasts are on there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information we put on there to make it educational and valuable for for folks and. Uh, so by all means, I hope you check out the site, take a look at it, let us know what you think. Um, you know, and and I think you'll find it useful if you if you do that.
0: Silverleaffinancial.com. That's the website, silverleaffinancial.com. But and you said something just now, Kevin, that, that makes a lot of sense and we should talk about it a little bit, and that is how important the education process is in what you do every day. I mean, that's your goal. You want people to know and understand what they're do what you're doing to help them. With the kind of retirement that they want, and yes. I, you're a fiduciary, you're obligated to do it, but you do it willingly.
1: I, you know what? That's is what I think. It's the best way to approach it, and 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 honestly, that's why I do it because I think it. Uh, I'm a big believer in education. I think that the more education and the more information you 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 pursue uh, and review, that the more the better informed you are as an individual, and that's and that applies whether I don't know you're, you're looking to buy a new refrigerator, right? You want to do your research and check you know do the re- read the reviews see what's good see what's bad see what to watch out for and 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 by doing that you'll be you're better informed and you make a better purchasing decision right yes it's the same it's the same thing with investments you know that that you know you can educate yourself and figure out the path that you want to take but also by by educating yourself um, it'll prepare you for what to expect in other words a lot of investors you know, that are new to the market, let's say in the last 10 years, they really haven't gone through a bear market. And we've had some short ones, you know, like the correction when COVID first hit beginning of 20, uh, I think that lasted less than a month from peak to from peak to trough is how we measure it, you know, so from the high to the low. And, And it's lasted less than a month. It was something like 25 trading days, I think it was. Wow. And and so it was very that is very fast, guys, very fast. I mean, your your typical bear market. I want to say is more in the eight or nine month range, and so so that's something to think about and to be aware of as we're going through this period that we're in right now. Because I believe we've been in a bear market for a few months now, and uh, I think this is a bear market. You, you get into technical, definitely. You know, oh, is it a correction or is it bear market? You know, it take take your pick. Nasdaq came close to twenty percent. I want to say this morning. Uh, which technically is a bear market, 10%, you know, by the textbook is a correction. So, but either way, it's painful, right? And either way, you're losing, you know, you see in the market goes down, most people are losing money. If you're a long only investor, meaning you you own stocks, you're not betting short, things like that, uh, then chances are you've got positions that are down. What, what history tells us and what the education uh, would tell you or would show you is that this is normal. Guys, this is normal. A normal year, we have a 16 or 17% drop in the market. And again, that's peak to trough so high to low within the year, 16 or 17% drop is normal. So when we're coming off of three years where I think the market is up what, 75 or 80% over the last three years cumulative total before it started to drop here, um, you know, I don't think anybody should be, should be surprised that we see a little weakness. And considering last year we had such a big gain, I think you could make the counter argument, you know what, then maybe we have a bigger than normal loss. In other words, maybe our loss is 20, 25%, maybe 30%. We yeah. don't, we don't know. Yeah. You know, right? There's no way to know. But the thing, the thing is that the education and looking back in history, what it does to me, is it, it calms me down because I say, you know what, there's nothing new here. There's nothing surprising here. It always feels like it's different. Every time we go through it, it always feels like it's different. Whether it was the tech crash in 2001 and two, or it was the great housing recession in 07 and 08, it always feels it always feels like it's different. But but what history has shown us is that ninety percent of the time the stock market goes higher and and if you look back in your life it's gone on to more and more milestones going higher and higher and higher. I remember as I right as I first got out of college and I'm dating myself back to that back to the late '80s, uh, the the Dow was I want to say 2,100 back I want to say in the late in the late '80s and. Uh, you know, so not. Need, needless to say, it's a little bit higher than that right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, again, but those are the kinds of things that that. You know, just give people, I think, comfort, um, you know, in as we get to retirement, because right now is exactly some of the things that we've talked about in the past, Kevin, is that, you know, if it starts to go down and you're still going to retire, you know, sequence of returns, all of these things come into play. Oh, yeah. But you've lived through yes. this before. You know how to, uh, you know, essentially keep that money that we need right now safe. And let's put the other money out there.
1: You got, you got it, and that's exactly that's exactly one of the very first things we like to do, Steve. When I sit down with somebody, we want to look at your personal balance sheet, right? We want to look at all of your assets and and minus your liabilities, all right? And an ideal situation, a person goes into retirement with no liabilities, no debt, no mortgage. Cars are paid for, everything is paid for. So you're not paying, you're not financing somebody else's retirement by paying interest on a loan, all right? So ideally, you're, you're debt free as you go in, and your house is fully paid for, as I mentioned, along with everything else. And then we look at your, your, what I call a personal income statement, right? It's all the income you have coming in uh, versus, you know, your expenses. And we, and we want to budget for discretionary expenses and travel and golf or fishing or whatever else, whatever it is you want to do for, for your, in your spare time to have fun that needs to be baked in the budget, right? You don't yes. want to just be stuck, stuck around, you know, watching, I don't know, satellite TV all day or something, right? right? Well,
0: you know, there's only so much Jerry Springer you can watch.
1: <laughs> exactly. There's, there's a limit to all of it, right? Exactly. It's, Yeah. You know, so, so we want to price all those things in and we want to start with social security, which one of the things, you know, we let off the show saying, you know, we want to make sure you can answer three very important questions. One of them is how much is your social security check going to be, right? How Mm -hmm. much, what are you in, what are you line, you know, what are you in line for and at what age, you know? So, so you guys might know uh, that your full retirement age for most people now is, you know, somewhere between 66 and 67. Um, I don't believe it's been raised beyond 67 at this point. Okay. But every month that you wait to collect your social security, not just every year, but every month that you wait, the amount of your check goes up and it goes up for the rest of your life. Okay. So if you claim early before your full retirement age, you get a cut, they will cut it. They will reduce your, your social security check and they're reducing it for life. Okay. What I've read recently is that some people mistakenly think that if they claim early, That they're just getting a reduced check for a short period of time. In fact, I think what the consensus was is that if they, let's say they claimed at 62 and they're not supposed to claim till 66, they thought that their check was cut just for those first four years, right? Until they came to full retirement age. And then they thought that their check is going to get bumped up to where it should have been had they not claimed early. Guys, that's not true. That is not true at all. All right. If you claim your social security early, You will forever be receiving a discounted, cut, reduced, whatever adjective you want to use. You're getting a smaller check than you would have had you waited until your full retirement age to collect. And the good news is is if you think you uh, may live well into your 80s or beyond, then you should really think hard about waiting until 70 to claim, especially if you're the higher earner uh, and you're married and you're the higher earner of the two uh, because the surviving spouse Is going to get the bigger check when the first person passes away. They will not get both checks. They will just get the bigger of the two checks. All right. So if you claim early and you're the bigger breadwinner, okay. Well, your wife, when you pass away, she's going to get that smaller reduced check for the rest of her life too.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, again, those are the kinds of things that the, the, the misinformation that's out there about Social Security in terms of, you know, what what it is. And what I found, too, is I looked at it recently. It's ssa.gov is what I'm talking about. If you go out yes. there and you get into your account, there's a graph that you can actually move along. You know, and it'll show you here's what you get at 62. Here's yeah. what you get at 60, uh, you know, at full pretty- retirement. And, and here's what you get at 70. But you can move yes. that little graph yourself, you know, every year, every month. And it's you can see how much it goes up. That's right. I, I think it's, all, I think it's a great, I think, it's, and
1: they recently improved that. They recently improved that interface. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think they did a really good job. I like it. Me too. And, and it, I, I think it's, I think it's very intuitive. You know, it, I don't, I didn't need an, you know, a tutor to help me figure out, hey, this right. is what you got to do. You know, so I think they did a really good job with it. And I think it's really, I think everybody, you owe it to yourself, guys. If you haven't set up an account, you owe it to yourself to go to the Social Security website, SSA.gov, and and register and get an account set up. Um, you're going to have to do, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they require the two-factor authentication for everybody. So, yep. and that's you know, every you know, time they, you log in. Every time you log in, which which is a piece of cake. What it's a piece yeah. of cake. They're gonna they're gonna text you a code. You type the code into the into the into the screen, and boom, you're in. Yep. All right. But it's another it's another layer of security that personally. I welcome it. In fact, I've, I've set that up with, you know, we with almost all of my accounts. I've yeah, got me that too. extra layer set up. <laughs> me you too. Know? Right? Yes. Because, yeah, you know, because oh, you cause never know. know. You never know. And I tell you, and, and you know what, somebody, it's not like it's not like the, the old days, you know, where somebody had to be standing next to you to steal money out of your pocket.
0: You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so, yeah, all right. So that's the first question. What's the social security benefit? All right, let's, t- we've established that. What else do we need to know?
1: You you really need to know how much money are you going to get? How much income are you going to receive from your savings, right? All that money you put away, whether it's your, you know, your IRA or your 401k or whatever account it is, okay, that money you've got put away that you put away in your 401k, uh, how much income are you going to receive off that? And I can give you a general rule of thumb, all right, The, the number used to be 4%. Now this is referring to money that you'd have in a, in what we call a balanced portfolio, so it's a mix of stocks and bonds, roughly half and half. It could be 60, 40, one way or the other, all right? But that was a portfolio, and this was a strategy that was developed like some 30-plus years ago. I think it was either the late late 80s, early 90s. And so what they came up with is that a 4% withdrawal rate from your portfolio would last you for your lifetime. Uh, and so, in other words, if you have a million-dollar portfolio, 4% would, would give you $40,000 a year, okay, that you could mm-hmm. withdraw from that, from that million. So a half million, you get 20 grand. On the 4% rule. However, guys, that rate, that withdrawal rate of 4% is no longer what we recommend. It's more like 3%. And the reason is that half that portfolio that was in bonds, when this strategy was created, that piece of the portfolio was making five and six percent, if not more, in interest on the bond side of the portfolio. And now we're getting two, and that's on 10-year treasuries. So the interest rate on the bond side is much lower. In fact, I would suggest that there's a really good possibility you you won't make any money on the bond side of your portfolio for let's say the next 2 to 3 years. Cuz as interest rates rise, the prices go down, right? So so if you look at the aggregate bond index over the course of the last year, it's lost money. You've lost money on the bond side of your portfolio in the last year as interest rates have risen. So now uh, so it's just something to be aware of because the idea behind it is that you can withdraw that money, and I mentioned that this is for life, right? You want the money to last you for life. You don't want to run out when you're 84 years old. And, and so what we want to do is be conservative and not overestimate how much growth you're going to have from the portfolio, not underestimate the rate of inflation, right? Because these are all factors that we have to put in when we run our models that give us the projections you know, about when you can retire, how much money you're going to have, how, much, how long the money's going to last, and of course, we have to put in life expectancy. So all of these variables that we input, any one of those changes, and that can throw off the model. You know, so, so these are the starting points we want to get to. But generally speaking, I would say the 3 3.5% three withdrawal rate, I really wouldn't go higher than that on a stock and bond portfolio, uh, unless you want to accept the chance that you could run out of money sooner than you want to.
0: Well, we don't want to have that happen. And, uh, you know, but that uh, again, but as the horizon changes or as the market changes, as whatever changes, you can I mean, we can adjust that plan. You can ha- adjust that plan accordingly to continue right. to maximize the returns and and the income. It's all about the income, really. It, it. I tell you what, it's it's about the income and it's also about paying attention
1: to taxes, too. Right. We're going to pay attention to yeah. taxes. You know, because guys, remember the downside that the, what some people have called the retirement the retirement time bomb is that IRA, that 401k that you haven't paid a dime on taxes all your life. Well, unfortunately, now we all got to pay taxes on it. So all of that money in that retirement account is fully taxable, subject to income taxes, not capital gains tax rates, but income taxes. So whatever you pull out from that retirement account is going to treated is going to be treated for in, for tax purposes just like it was income from a job. All right. The good news is you don't have to pay payroll taxes on the money you withdraw from your 401k. Sure. All right. So they are going to be, it'll be taxed. So whatever tax bracket you're in, that's what you want to assume. So you want it. So in other words, you need to be prepared to take probably 20% uh, when you combine federal federal and the state taxes, if you're in Arizona, um, or maybe 25 or 30%, depending on the tax rate, it could be higher. So, but just remember, uh, you know, that money in those retirement accounts, that's fully taxable money. So- uh, but the good news is that working with, working with me or an advisor that can help you manage these accounts, as Steve said, that's exactly what we do. We want to manage the account to make sure that we can provide the income and the growth that, that, that we're striving for over time, all right? But I'll tell you one of the other things that I really like to do is what I prefer is to set up accounts that can provide you with guaranteed income that cover all of your expenses, all right? So whatever you have from Social Security, if you're fortunate that you have a pension, Whatever that shortfall is in between, you know, if you've got 4 grand coming in and you'd like to have 6 every month, then we need to find a way to to generate that $2,000 a month. And if I can do it on something that's guaranteed, then we can eliminate that stress and the worry, the anxiety about the markets if they go down. Man, does that mean I got to stop my withdrawals because you know what guys, when the market's going down, that's a good thing to do if you're taking money out is stop taking the money out. All right? But you need that money to live on, right? Sure. So so that's what we want to address. I like to address it with guaranteed income. And then the money we have in the market is discretionary and it won't affect your standard of living if, if it happens to go into a correction for a couple of years.
0: So one of the things that, you know, we talk about guaranteed income and we talk about, um, you know, zero is your hero. So you're not going to lose money. Those are the kinds of things that you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, those are exactly
1: the types of things, which, which by the way, guys, those are exactly the things that I'm doing personally for myself and my wife as well. Um, I'm using, I believe in a combination of index annuities, uh, which are vehicles that protect your money in the case. In other words, you can't lose money due to a market downturn with money that you have in an index annuity. All right. And let me also mention that there's a lot of these on the market. They're not all good, but they're not all bad either. All right. I tell people it's the 80-20 rule. And and in this case, in my opinion, 80% I would avoid. 20% of them, though, are really very good. And, and so you need to find somebody that you're comfortable with and help that can help you sort it all out and sort through the hundreds and hundreds of options that you literally have out there with these products. Um, and it's just like a lot of things, you know, you can't, you shouldn't, all cars are not the same, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not. Some are good. Some are not so good. And, and it's the same thing with these, but I hate it when they paint it with a broad, broad brush and, and they're like, oh, they're all bad. They're not all bad. I can show you annuity contracts that have averaged seven and 8% returns over the last 10 years. With no fees, no risk of a loss due to the market dropping, no fees, and no worries about the market dropping, all right, that have made 7 and 8% a year over the last decade, all right, which most people would say, that's I'm, I'd be happy with I'd, I'd be happy,
0: happy with that. that, absolutely.
1: All right, and, and mm. when I say, guys, you can do it without risking losing money in the market. That's the key. And so, so what I like to do is I like to segregate whatever amount of money somebody has saved up. I like to segregate some of it put it into safe, guaranteed things that we know is going to be there no matter what happens. We could use that to supplement our income, or we could use it for guaranteed income, however you want to do it. Um, and then we also want to make sure, I, I believe it's a good idea you know, to have some money in the market. Um, but of course, it's only money that you're comfortable putting at risk because nobody can guarantee you that that we won't be down any you know one quarter or or one year or two or one There's, day yeah, yeah right it'd be nice if it was all you know, always only just a day yeah um yeah you know but it does happen sometimes we can go at extended periods of time uh, it, uh, in, in fact if you bought the the nasdaq in the peak of 2000 it took you almost 12 or 13 it took 12 or 13 years to get back to break even Oof, so yeah. it, it can't depending on where you what you paid it, it could take a while to get back to break even so so be very careful with the money that you have in the market it should be discretionary uh, and it should be long term money so you can ride out these uh, these storms.
0: So again speaking of storms uh, leave us with uh, what's your gut telling you that uh, is you know the next few weeks do you think in the market?
1: Oh my gosh that is a really that is a really tough call. Yet you know what based on the way it's going uh, assuming the situation in Ukraine continues to worsen I'm going to say this ups and downs continue. Okay. Um I I I don't think there's a lot more downside there might be another 4 or 5% down. I, I think if we broke 4,000, maybe we'd see 30, I don't know, 38, 50, 3900 on the S&P. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, guys, what I'm doing is I'm adding to my position. So so index funds, if you own the S&P or if you own the NASDAQ, you own your you funds, I like to, as th- as they go down further, I will, buy, I will buy more and that's what I would recommend you do for your longer term money is to add to those holdings as they go down, the ones that you feel very good about long term.
0: call kevin brooker today 800-975-6717 do it today